totally do it. Totally. Oh, man. So um, <clears throat> an older teacher was asking her class, she said, if I said I am beautiful, what tense would that be? And one little kid said, obviously, past tense. <laughs> hey, I want to know why my washing machine has stopped pumping out water. And more importantly, where's my hamster? <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, seriously, how many have been really getting clobbered with allergies this, this fall? Anybody? Yeah, man, I'll tell you. Oof. I've been getting nailed. Darlene's really not sick, but, you know, allergies, coughing, coughing, coughing. That's why I'm using this microphone, because when I have the lapel mic right here, I can't get away from it. And if I start hacking up a lung, it wouldn't be good. So... Thank you. Yeah, somebody said thank you. There's Thanksgiving right there. Thank you, Jesus, for different microphones that can be used. Okay, so I want to I want to preach something that um, you might say, well, it's not really the Word of God, it's politics, but it's really not. It really is the Word, and I want to use this scripture as a springboard where Paul says this. This is in the King James Version, First Corinthians fourteen, verse ten. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. And none of them is without significance. Some translations say languages. Some translations say speech. I like this one. There are many voices in the world. Um, the definition of the word voice is to express in words a particular opinion. And we get that through so many different mediums. We get that through dramatic readings. We get that through plays. We get that through song. We get that in social media. We get that in the news media. We get that among our peers. We get that in the latest, latest sensationalism that takes place. As a matter of fact, every advertisement that you listen to or that you watch is an opinion that's trying to sway your opinions, trying to sway you, whether it's buying a new car, this is the best car, or whether it's a deodorant. You know, what I mean, there's just commercials and advertisements about everything, and those are voices that are trying to get your attention to sway your opinion one way or another. Um, every political debate, uh, when we see politicians having debates, those are opinions that are trying to sway um, our, our, our reference or our way that we would vote. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that towards the end, there's going to be a globalization of governments. And please don't say there's going to be a one-world government. There's never going to be a one-world government. Uh, even the Bible teaches us that there's not going to be a one-world government. As a matter of fact, there are other nations that come to war against the Antichrist. So the Antichrist doesn't have one global government. But there is going to be a globalization of governments. There's also going to be, uh, as it were, like a globalization of world economies. And there is going to be a globalization of religions. Not like one world religion. That's really not going to ever happen. But there's going to be a globalization of religions. And we see that every time you see that little bumper sticker that says coexist. And it's all the different religious icons. In other words, like all the religions put together into one globalized world, world religion. But there, there's never going to be like a one world government or one world religion. It's just, even the Bible just doesn't really depict that. Um, as a matter of fact, it says the nations will come. And there will be nations rising up against nations in, in the last days. And so obviously there's still a, a, an idea of nationalism that's taking place. Um, but when we talk about the globalization of nations, and when we talk about the globalization of a world economy, there's one vehicle that does that better than any other vehicles out there in the world today, and that's the vehicle of socialism. Socialism is something that creates 
a globalization of governments, a globalization of economy, and a globalization of world religions in this whole coexist idea. And so there are two definitions. When we talk about socialism, there are two definitions that we need to really communicate. The first one is a totalitarianism or a dictatorial type of socialism. And we know that as communism, right? There are, there are huge nations, uh, China, Russia, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, that are all very communistic in, in their approach. And it's a totalitarianism government. It, it's a, it's a, an oppressive regime, uh, a dictatorship, right? And then there's also what's known as democratic socialism. Uh, it sounds nicer, it sounds better, but what I like somebody once said is if you take, if you launch the airplane from the airport of democratic socialism, you will have to land in communism because they are basically one and the same. They, they have the same goals, they lead in the same uh, direction. And basically one of the things that these things stand in contrast to is free market. Um, there are nations that allow free market uh, not capitalism. Capitalism is a derogatory term that was actually um, initiated by socialists um, or communists. But we're talking about a free market enterprise where people have the ability to have free trade and this kind of thing. So when we talk about socialism, we're talking about something that is biblical because its essence and its core is an anti-God structure. It's God is removed out of the equation, right? Now, this is something that has been tried multiple times over the last 100 years, and it never works. It always leads to people being in bondage. It always becomes oppressive. And, and, and even though it's tried again and again and again, people think that, you know, well, you can try it again, and, and it'll work this time, you know? And we have people even in our government right now that says, you know, we can try it again, and it'll work. And that's really the definition of insanity, is to do the same thing again and again and again and again, and then somehow expect a different results, right? That's, that's what we would define as insanity. And so when we talk about trying socialism again and again and again, uh, we need to understand that the, 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 the basic concept of socialism goes all the way back to the philosopher Plato. It's been around for a long time. It's been tried multiple times. So Plato was the one of the socialistic idea that everyone have everything in common and it would just be utopia on earth. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't realize that America has already had its experiment with socialism. Um, it took place many, many years ago, actually on the Plymouth Plantation. Um, and I don't even know what's being taught in history these days versus what was taught in my day. But in my day, we still had an element of factual history rather than politically correct history that was taught. And so when we talk about the Plymouth Plantation, that the pilgrims came over to America, landed in Plymouth, you know, what it was now Plymouth, Massachusetts, and they started, started a, a communal living. And um, so Leo Martin, who was the founder of the Jenny Museum in Plymouth, and if you've never been to Plymouth Rock, it's a fascinating place to see. It, it is still done in period costume, and they never break character. It's really uh, quite a, a place to see. So this is what he said. So now the pilgrims came over here virtually in a socialistic situation, a communal living, where everyone on the plantation worked the same field, grew their food. Then at the end of the season, they simply evenly split with each other what they had produced. The Plymouth Colony, 
agreed to pool all of their goods and all of their rewards of their labor, with each person being entitled to an equal share of it, no matter how hard or how little they worked, you would all get a same amount, which is basically socialism. Governor William Bradford, you've heard of Governor William Bradford, um, the leader of the Pilgrims, who was their governor for about 30 years, uh, journaled in a book of uh, the Plymouth Plantation and documented their amazing story, which includes the first Thanksgiving, which we're celebrating this week. We, you know, it's about 400 years or so, the anniversary that we're celebrating um, just this week. Bradford called on some of the Pilgrim leaders, and he called them together to brainstorm how to increase their production of corn because they weren't quite making it, and they needed to increase their, their production of corn. The conclusion was to abolish this common stock, that, that everyone was going to have uh, this, this stipulation of common stock. Instead, giving each person or family their own land and letting them enjoy the fruits of their labor without being forced to work for others. Revolutionary, right? Like, here's land, go for it. And uh, so that they might not thus still languish in misery. That's the way he worded it. Like, they were, we're languishing in misery here. We're not providing enough for everyone to live on, so what are we going to do? Well, let's just give people property, let them have ownership of property, and let them work as hard as they darn well want to. And let them enjoy the rewards of their labors. Well, it worked. Um, abandoning socialism and implementing private land ownership and free enterprise increased Productivity, productivity dramatically, uh, uh, exponentially. Bradford writes, this had a very good success for it made all hands very industrious. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before would allege weakness or inability. Whom to have compelled would have fought great tyranny and oppression. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, rather than forcing people who weren't working to work, they would have viewed that as tyranny and as oppression. And, and, and so I want you to just make some parallels of what we're living in today, right? If you tell people what they should do, that's being oppressive. You're violating their personal individual rights. Instead, I just want stuff for free. And he said, so rather than doing that, rather than forcing them, we just simply said, here's land, go for it. You all have a fair share at this. You can all work as hard as you want or not, and you will basically reward, get the reward to the fruit of your labor. And so uh, Bradford is the one that you know, coined the famous phrase, which, by the way, comes out of Scripture, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, that seems punitive to us because we're all about mercy, and we're all about helping the underdog and helping the person that can't help themselves and blah, blah. But there's, enable, there's, a, there's an aspect of an enablement that comes with that that creates a victimhood where people slide and get stuff that they don't earn. And, and not only is this wrong, but it is against the teaching of scriptures. It's against the very nature and character of God. Bradford went on and admitted that they had fallen, listen to this, to the vanity of the conceit of Plato, as if they were wiser than God. In other words, we know what will work. This will work better rather than free enterprise and everybody having a free shot at, 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 a, at a common standing at what they can do. So when the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not steal, it implies private property. It implies private ownership, right? Right? Don't steal. That means my car is my car. 
I worked for it. I bought it. I earned it. It's my car. You, you can't steal it. So when the commandments say don't steal, it implies private ownership. And God does not add to the stipulation of thou shalt not steal unless thou art the government. Right? Because socialism is theft by government. That's what it is. It's theft by government. It's taking by force what one has earned to redistribute to one who's not earned it. <coughs> and um, I love this because, see, kids, kids going through high school and then into college, they really haven't experienced free enterprise. They might get a little part-time job here, but they're really not, like, working for their... Now, some are. I'm painting with a broad brush, and I know some, like, they really, you know, burn the midnight oil. They work and go to school and all this kind of stuff. But most are, like, going to school. And so when people say, hey, we'll give you free health care. <laughs> yeah, I deserve that. It's a right. It's really not. Uh, we'll give you free education. Yeah, I deserve that. It's a right. Well, it's really not. Um, and so... It sounds good, but here's the deal. You're still a free marketist at heart. You just haven't learned life's lessons. In other words, you want a free education to get a good-paying job to become very successful, but after you're very successful, you're not going to want to give in to the ideas of socialism and pay for other people who want a free ride. You're going to want the best things that your education can get you. You're going to want the best job, the highest-paying job, so you can afford nice things. And you're not going to want to forfeit those. And so you're going to look at, you know, the situation that's going on and say, well, wait a minute, this isn't fair. And when people, thank you, Steve, when people, you know, uh, uh, work in today's society and when you look at your paycheck and when you realize that you're working uh, a good 40 to 50 percent of your time for federal and state taxes, it's like, wait a minute. And you don't realize how much you're taxed. Gas is so expensive. Do you know how much gas is taxed? Do you know how much when you go to the pump? Do you know how much of what you pay is actually just taxes? You go to, you go to just get a dinner. You take your wife out to dinner, and there's like a 12% tax added to that. It's a meal tax. It's a gas tax. It's a this tax. It's a that tax. You can't do anything without being taxed. And then we hide taxes under licenses. Well, if you want to hunt, you got to buy a license. It's a tax. If you want to fish, you got to buy a license. It's a tax. And so we're taxed every which way, and, and we don't realize like how much of what we actually earn under a free market enterprise goes back into government, to run government. Okay, so, you know, excuse me. I can't drink this bottle, hold this microphone, and click my clicker all at the same time. So, um, so Paul says this in Colossians, so important. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than to in Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So what he's saying here is he's saying, beware. Because there are many voices in the world that come and go, and these voices are trying to sway your opinion. These voices try to win you over to their worldviews and to your opinion. And so he's saying, be careful. Now, thousands of years ago, God called Abraham. Through Abraham started a nation, his very own nation, that he was going to use as an instrument, as a tool to bring Messiah into the world. And he wanted that nation to be a theocracy, 
a theos, the Greek word for God, meaning a, a people who were governed by God and by God's law. That's what God initially wanted for Israel. He wanted them to be a theocracy, that they would just follow him and he would guide them. There came a time in their existence where they looked around at the other nations of the world and they said, um, yeah, I'm really not down with this theocracy. Uh, we want a king. We want a monarchy. We want a ruler to rule over us. Uh, this God thing, you know, I'm not feeling that. It's kind of sketchy. Don't know if he's there. Hope he's there. Can't see him. Can't feel him. But, you know, a, a king would be there. We'd be able to identify him. We'd be able to have his ear and blah, blah. So they want a king, and they petition Samuel. We want a king. We want a king. And so God says, hey, Samuel, over here. God says, tell him this. Blah, 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 blah. Samuel says, I got it. Not only will I tell him, I'll even write it down. And so this is what God wanted them to know in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders over thousands and fifties, and some to do his plowing and reap his harvest, and to make weapons of war and equipments, uh, implements for chariots. He will also take your daughters, and look again the word take, he will take your daughters for perfumers and for cooks and for bakers, and he will take um, the best of your fields and of your vineyards and of your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants." So God is saying, okay, you know what's going to happen? If you don't want to be ruled by me, you will be ruled by men, and man is not qualified to rule over man. Never in my intention, never in my creative order was man supposed to rule over man. It doesn't work, and it never will work, because what man is going to give you is government, and what government must do is take from you to do what they need to do. And as government inflates, which it always does, it can only do one thing, and that's get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And as it inflates, what happens is you will end up being its servant. That's what he says. You will end up becoming his or its servant. That's what government does. That's what government always does. Now, listen, the average person in America, right, we don't follow social Darwinism. We really don't understand the concepts behind that. We don't follow progressive socialism. We don't understand self-actualization. We don't understand group identity and, and group politics. We really don't get that. You know what we're concerned about? We're concerned about raising our families. We're concerned about making enough money to have provisions. We're concerned about a hopeful future, that our kids will have a future and a life as good as at least what we had it. And that's what our concern's about. And we don't realize that we're bombarded by these many voices to shift us and move us in directions that are against the things of God, because that's what human government does. We don't understand human philosophies, and we don't understand that the best way to make change is the old frog in the kettle, that, you know, you don't boil a frog by throwing him in hot water, you put him in cold water, and you put it on simmer. And as the water gets warmer, he gets sleepier and falls asleep in the warm water until you burn him to death. And so it's a very progressive, it's a very slow thing that happens. 
And this is what happens with socialism. Socialism starts off with identity politics. It always has to go, so what, what's identity politics? Identity politics is to divide people among themselves. So they start looking at one another as the problem because government is going to offer itself as the solution. And the first level of that is the rich against the poor. You start sowing seeds of discord that the poor are poor because the rich are oppressive. And the rich are rich because they're thieves and they're greedy. And you start making this divide. But it doesn't stop there, especially in our society. You go on and you start separating the genders. You start getting men against women, women against men. You start by separating the, the races, right? You get white against black and black against Asian and, you know, Hispanic. You start dividing everybody against everybody. And you divide, uh, you know, the straight from the gay. And you start getting all conflict. It's so important because it brings division. Now listen, this has been tried again and again and again and again. All you have to do is look at Venezuela. We have, we have an illustration in our lifetime, so we don't have to go back in antiquity. We can look in our lifetime at Venezuela. Venezuela, in 1992, was the richest country in all of South America. They had the highest level of, of living, the highest standard of living, the, the strongest economy. As a matter of fact, in one year, Venezuela bought more Ford 150 pickup trucks than the U.S. and Canada put together. They had the highest oil. They are dripping with oil. They have uranium, rich with uranium. They had everything, very, very rich. And then, you know, people wanted free stuff. And then in 1999... Vasquez took over and started moving them towards socialism slash communism. And the moment took place with an increase in crime. An increase in crime. They started backing off how they monitored social rest and peace and law and order and crime started to become rampant to where people started protesting in the streets. And when the protests started getting violent, then the military came in. And the next thing they knew, they were a military-controlled communistic state. And that's what they are today. And now you can't find produce in their stores. And their money, their currency, is worthless. You could see money blowing around in the breeze on, in their streets like leaves when everything collapsed. It meant nothing. It was worthless. All gone, just like that. And like they say, you can vote yourself into socialism, but you'll have to shoot your way out of it because it never lets go. It's an iron clamp that when it clamps, it's never, ever, ever going to let go. And each generation began to give up a little bit more stuff and a little bit more stuff in order to get stuff. And what they were giving was their freedom. I'm giving a little bit more freedom to get a little bit more monetary stuff. Giving a little bit more freedom to get benefits and blessings. Giving up a little bit more freedom until all of a sudden you wake up and there is no freedom. Alexander Fraser Tyler said this. A democracy, and let me just stop right there. <clears throat> this is the first lie. We are not a democracy. We're not a democracy. We've never been a democracy, right? Say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and to one republic for which it stands. We are a republic. What's the difference between a democracy and a republic? A democracy is a nation that is ruled by the voices of the majority of the people. A republic is something that is ruled by law. It's a government that's ruled by laws. 
we are ruled by our Constitution. That's why every police officer, every military personnel, every politician swears to uphold the Constitution of the United States because we are governed by law. We have politicians in office right now that are not living by that law because their goal is to get rid of the Constitution of the United States. So when you hear rhetoric like America was established and pioneered by white supremacists. This is the new lingo that's in schools nowadays. And man, you need to know what your kids are learning in school. America was settled by white supremacists coming over by Europe who owned slaves, destroyed the indigenous people, stole their land, and it's corrupt. And you'll hear this term, we need to burn the whole thing down. You've probably heard that where people say we need to burn the whole thing down. What do they mean by that? They mean that everything our founding fathers did is corrupt, get rid of all of it, and start all over again. Well, if you get rid of our Constitution, you get rid of a republic. And what do you put in its place? Who knows? Socialism, where supposedly the voice of the people will get what they want until there's no longer any more resources to give those people, and then everyone's locked down under totalitarian Reign. Okay, so it says, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largest from the public treasury. In other words, there's, there's taxes that are being taken, there's money that can be pooled there, and I can vote for politicians that are going to give me stuff out of that treasury. From that moment on, the majority will always vote for candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that the democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy. We're, we're passing bills right now that are in the trillions of dollars. We don't even understand what that means. Our minds, your mind, trust me, your mind right now cannot calculate the amount of a trillion dollars. It's astronomically mind-boggling. And this is loose fiscal policies always followed by dictatorship. It's always followed by dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations have been about 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from great courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and dependence back into bondage. And that's where we're going. We're so prosperous that we're apathetic, and we're apathetic, and, and we're, we're, we're selfish, and we're getting back into dependence, like, I don't want to do anything, you know, why should I work? Hey, the government's going to give me money to stay home because we're having this pandemic, and so why should I keep working? You know, I'm just going to stay home because the government is going to give. The government is going to give. Just passing a $1.7 trillion build America great thing. 1. 1. 1.5, 1.7, I lost uh, the actual number. But do you know that out of that, I believe only 14% actually goes to infrastructure? The rest goes to socialistic agenda programs. We're going to give moms and dads money for babysitters for childcare. So, mom, if you want to go to work, the government will pay for your childcare. And I said this, I think, last week the government can't give anything. 
When you hear politicians saying, we're going to do this, it's not going to cost anybody a dime. That's impossible. That, that's like an impossibility. That's like saying we're going, to, we're going to, you know, harvest our crops from the moon, right? It's impossible. You can't do that. The government doesn't have anything to give but what it takes from you first, right? Because you're the money holders. You're the one that are working and providing goods and services. And in a free trade marketing system, we're back and forth and bantering. Somebody's over here selling cars, but they need their toilet fixed, so they got to get a plumber. That plumber's offering a service, and then that plumber needs a carpenter, and that carpenter needs a doctor, and it's just everybody's meeting other people's needs. And by that, we're bantering and trading, and we're prospering as each one is willing to work. So, in his book, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave, David Breeze talks about seven people who are gone, whose influences still impact the world. Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Julius Wellhausen, John Dewey, Sigmund Freud, John Maynard, Keyes, and Soren Kierkegaard. So we all, you know, we sort of know most of them, you know, Darwin, evolution, Karl Marx, communism, um, Wellhausen, uh, documentary hypotheses, Freud, psychology, Dewey, educational and court systems, and blah, 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 all right? So, what we don't understand is that many of these men, if not all of them, were seeking God. They were getting training in seminaries. And they got deceived by bad theology. And now ended up on a collision course with the God of the Bible. See, because the writer in Hebrews said this, How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken to us through the Lord, which was confirmed by those who heard? In other words... You can't separate yourself from God without expecting a train wreck. There's going to come a train wreck eventually. And so it's coming. And so we all know Darwin. And let's just visit Darwin for a second. Right there he is. <clears throat> we know Charles Darwin, you know, started natural selection, survival of the fittest, um, which basically has two components. One, it's to remove accountability to God because there is no God. It's all natural selection. The other thing is, it is the most racist belief in the world. Hitler studied Darwinism to come up with his concept that the Aryan race was the supreme super race, therefore there were no moral guidelines to destroy blacks, Jews, homosexuals, or any other person that they wanted to wipe out. Because he was just living out Darwin's theory of evolution, that everything is in an evolutionary cycle, and the strongest ones are the ones that survive, which is such a hypocrisy, because when you talk to young people coming out of high school or college, and they're all educated, and they'll say, yeah, you know what, and they believe in evolution, because that's all they're taught in school, that's all they're taught, follow the science, stupid, you believe in God, Duh, how dumb can you be, follow the science, it's all about science. And then they'll say, yeah, but Americans were racist because they wiped out the Indians. Why would you have a problem with that? Because it's just survival of the fittest, right? See, you see how hypocrisy that is? Like, if you really believe in evolution, you would not have a problem with what America did or didn't do to the American Indians because it's just survival of the fittest. We pick and choose what we want to believe, what we want to throw our weight into, and what we want to defend, what we want to support. And so Darwin, you know, influenced, definitely influenced um, Adolf Hitler. And so this is one of the theories. The theory of social Darwinism says this. The idea of social structures controlled by impersonal forces rather than God. Society is moving forward. Progressiveness. Do you hear that word ever? 
if you follow politics? Progressives. We're progressives. What does that mean? That's a buzzword and a keyword for communist. That's what that means. Seeking the perfect culture by natural selection. See, we're evolving, we're progressing, we're going upwards. The strong will do away with the weaker. And that's basically what it is. Science is the final source of all knowledge. There's nothing outside the universe. And you hear this rhetoric a lot in today's culture. I feel like the universe is telling me this. I feel like the universe is against me. I feel like because they have deified the universe because they can't believe in anything outside of that which is known under a microscope. If you can't see it, measure it, taste it, touch it, feel it, it doesn't exist. So there is no God outside of creation. If there is a God, he's in creation, and he himself is a part of creation. But there is no God that's outside of all of that. And so what is the impersonal force that they're talking about? It's secular humanism. Secular humanism is the force that will control man's progressive move into the utopia state that we can all arrive in if we can all just do it together. And so the goal is basically to remove God. Now, this has a huge, profound impact, especially in the lives of young people. What does it do? Well, first of all, there is no God. There's only the universe. There's a lot of people that, that, that believe that, right? Well, the other thing is, is there is no purpose for existence. If there is no God, there is no purpose for existence. Why am I here? I don't know. It was just a random, a billion, billion years ago, a lightning bolt struck a pond of pond slime, and there was a spark of life, and that cell, that one cell, evolved into everything we see today. All microscopic life, all plant life, all insect life, all vegetation life, all human life, all animal life, everything came from that one cell. See, that's why you have to believe in billions and billions and billions of years ago, because you throw a number out there that the mind can't compute, and you say, yeah, it's got to be plausible if it took that long to happen. And that we really weren't a special creation out of a God that loved us. We just simply evolved from monkeys. And I think I said that before, that scientists have proven that our genome has more in common, our DNA has more in common with a chicken than with a monkey. So we didn't really evolve from monkeys, we evolved from chickens. Um, if, if you really want to follow the science, right? And then the other thing is, is there is no moral absolute truth. And you hear that today too. There's no moral truth. It's just relative. So in other words, what you feel is right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. There's no absolute truth, right, which is an absolute lie. And you put all these together, and you come up with there is no accountability. Let's just live, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. And we really hope there's some kind of afterlife, but, you know, maybe not. So let's just... And you wonder why teens who have been raised with this have the highest level of suicide of any other demographics in our culture. Why do teens kill themselves? Hopelessness. There's no hope in this message. There's no future in this message. There's no transcendency of a God that's loving and benevolent and has a purpose and a plan for our life. So, so Darwinism is one of these voices from the grave that still impacts the world today in a profound way. Let's look at the other character, Marx, Karl Marx. Karl Marx gave us the Communistic Manifesto. Karl Marx was an economist, by the way. So he was looking at everything through uh, an economist's uh, uh, point of view. Karl Marx was influenced primarily by George Frederick Hegel. And Hegel was a German theologian. Hello, here we go again, right? 
bad doctrine. And Hegel gave us the Hegelian dialect. So what is Hegelian dialect? What is dialect? Well, dialect is basically the method of philosophical argument that involves some sort of contradictory process between opposing sides. Okay, let's unpack that for a minute. Because Hegel influences Marx with the Hegelian dialect. What is the Hegelian dialect? Dialect is when there is a philosophical argument that involves some sort of contradictory process between two opposing sides. What does that mean? How do we unpack that? How do we understand that? It means that there is a dialogue to pit two extremes against each other in order that people will accept a common ground. Right-wing fanatics, left-wing progressives, let's just find the common ground. Sounds good, except that hidden in the communistic manifesto is this concept of gradualism and centralism. Well, gradualism, we know what that means, right? That whatever's happening, it's going to happen gradual. It's going to be the frog in the kettle. It's going to be a slow process. It's not going to happen all over. And what's centralism? Centralism and gradualism is the ability to create new norms. It's the ability to create new norms. Let me give you a perfect illustration. A year ago, gas was $2 a gallon, maybe a little under, right? In one year, it's going from 2 to 339. I think right now the, the average price is around 330 a gallon. So it's going up a buck 30 a gallon. And another year from now, it's going to be $4 a gallon. Okay, so we we like $2 a gallon. That was the center. Hey, I can get used to this. $2 a gallon, that's a center. We're going to move that center over to $4 a gallon and that's going to start pissing off a lot of people. And they're going to push back against that. So what they're going to do is they'll come back to $3 a gallon, and we'll say, all right, well, that's a little bit better. And we've just moved center. We're moving center. That's what this is all about. This is a slow process. It's moving center. This is a marketing scheme. That's all it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a card trick. It's a marketing scheme. We're going to pass a $3.5 trillion program that's going to get this country really moving. And people are like, are you nuts? Are you out of your mind? Even some Dems were like, no, we're not. That's ridiculous. That's insane. That's financial suicide. So, okay. Talk here, talk there, close meeting here, close meeting there. We're going to pass a $1.7 trillion. Oh, okay. And we just realized that we just moved center because over here we didn't have anything. We weren't spending anything and everything was good. Now we're going to spend $1.7 trillion and we're all happy with that because it's not $3.5 trillion. That's progressivism, that's graduation, that's, that's moving the center, that's called centralism, that's changing things and moving it around. So let me just give you this. Hang on, I, get, I didn't think about this until just now. Because I actually have a dollar. All right. <clears throat> dollar bill. Dollar bill. You lay this dollar bill on the ground. All right. And then you start stacking dollar bills on top of that. Dollars, 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 dollars. Gets like this high. That's not bad. Stack, 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 dollar bills up to the ceiling. Wonder how much that is. I don't know, but I'd like to have it. Right? Take that stack and extend it 60. 68, let me make sure I get this right, extend it um, 
68 miles. This stack, you're going to stack dollar bills on this dollar bill from there. From there now, our, our atmosphere is only about 20 miles, 20, 21 miles, our atmosphere. So you're like clear out, you're in outer space. From here, 68 miles of dollar bills. And you've hit a billion dollars. 68,000 miles and you hit a trillion. You see what I say when I say a trillion dollars are astronomical figures that our minds can't even comprehend. And when our government says we're going to pass 3.5 trillion as a stimulus for COVID, they haven't even spent that money yet. We're starting to see the downside of COVID unless some other kind of freaky strain comes out, right? But they haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg of that money. And now they're saying we're going to spend another $1 trillion on top of that for stimulus because people aren't working and we've shut our economies down. And then we're going to spend another $1.7 trillion to build America back great again. And now they're talking already to adding another, which, by the way, most economists, that $1.7 trillion, in actuality, will end up being $4 trillion. But don't worry, because they're promising us it's not going to cost anybody anything. But then they say, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to tax the rich. 68,000 miles for $1 trillion. You can tax the rich into oblivion. You can take all the money of all the rich people in America, and it won't get us out of debt. We've passed that exponential curve, right? So this is, this is, this is socialism. This is what's happening. This is getting us into huge, huge, huge trouble. And it's always moving. We're moving center. We're moving center. Listen, I'm only 63 years old. The center that we call normal life in America today is not even, doesn't even hold a candle when I grew up as a kid. When I grew up as a kid, it was leave it to Beaver, right? Mayberry with Andy Griffith. You know, it was all wholesome, all family, all good stuff. And in today's society, I walk into Raymond High School, and there's this great big, you know, 15-foot banner, Pride Week. We're celebrating the rainbow and, you know, people that have, uh, I, I, you know, listen, listen. 1976, 78, the American Psychiatric Society, just back in 1978, had a homosexual lifestyle listed as a deviant lifestyle. So we've gone from calling a deviant perverted lifestyle a deviant pervert lifestyle to now calling it something we celebrate. And people get mad at me, you know, Pastor, you preach that way. My friends are never going to come to church. Listen, I just preach the word of God. It's just the word of God. Now we live in a culture where there's, last I heard was 27 genders. I'm not sure. It might have gone up. It's, you know, 27, 70 different genders. Um, 70 different genders. And my argument to anyone that believes in gender identity, go get eggs from a rooster. Go get milk from a bull. All right? And you're going to find out that there's two genders, and then after that, there's as many psychoses as you want. I used to be the chaplain at the Portsmouth Pavilion in, in, in Portsmouth, right? I ran into Jesus. I ran into the Apostle Paul. Right? I ran into the people that, that believed things about themselves that back then we would say, wow, you know, that's, that's an issue. You need psychological help. But today we're like, that's great. You can be anything you want. You can be anything you want. Um, and there's people now that are identifying as cats and, um, 
you know, it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous. So, so that's, that's what happens when these, when this stuff starts happening. So moderates, middle class, you know, in the middle of the road, we want that. Um, but social evolu evolution is moving the center, always moving. And we've got the squad. Let's just call them out, right? Cortez, Alexandria, Ortasia, Cortez, and Ilmar, and, and Tlaib, and, uh, and, and Cori Bush, right? These women that are communists. They're communists. Look at the leader and the founder of Black Lives Matter, a professing communist that just bought her fourth million-dollar home. Where's she getting the money? From these woke companies like Coca-Cola and other ones that keep funding Black Lives Matter. Are they helping the poor black person in the slum, in the ghetto? No. You know what they're doing? They're buying fleets of buses so that they can mobilize protesters into whatever city's having problems. It's absolutely ridiculous. So they can burn it all down. Why do they want to burn it all down? Again, we, we, these are buzzwords that we hear, right? Burn it all down and progressives and all these different words. It's all Hegelianism. It's all democratic socialism. Except for a few free market countries in the world, the world is embracing this. Germany just had an election and they've totally swung socialistic. The, the chancellor that's leaving said, I fear for my country because it's going socialistic. So, so this, this, is, this is something that, that's happening more and more. Now, when you, have, when you have, by force, the redistribution of wealth, you have revolution. You have revolution. I'm getting more and more frustrated each year when I see my taxes funding things that I totally don't agree with at all. My taxes fund abortion. I have a problem with that. My taxes fund things that I really disagree with. My taxes fund Planned Parenthood, who in turn takes a huge chunk of their money and funds the Democratic Convention. How is that right? How is that even legal? Right? But when you have, when you have, um, when you have progressivism, you have gradualism, and it just sounds a lot better, and it's like, we're going to try this again, and it's going to work this time. And it's never worked before. It's never worked before. The farther you move left, the more you drift into communism. You remove the middle class, and then you have a lower class wage earner with an oligarchy of ruling people or a dictator of ruling people ruling the wealth. Look at what's happening. Look at what's happening. It's so hip hypocritical. These people that say, we, we, we should have open borders because these people are as asylum seekers. Look at their multi-million dollar mansions with great big walls built around them and their own personal security guards that they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for. Right? Like, how ridiculous is that? Then you've got them saying, we're against big business. While Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and Amazon are censoring opposing views that are against their platform. Listen, we're already crossed the line. We're already in a very, very oppressive government, right? It's, it's, it's actually kind of frightening. And then, and then what it's going to end up with is class war. This is Hegelianism. You pit the, you pit the wealthy um, as the oppressor against the poor, which are the victims, and you've got class war. Of course the poor are going to say, yeah, we're oppressed because they're greedy, rather than I'm oppressed because I'm lazy and I just don't want to apply myself. Because you can't hide behind that argument when you have people like Ben Carson, who grew up in the slums, became a brain surgeon, and now oversees HUD. Right? So, so, so you can't use that issue. You can do as much as you want to do if you're willing to pay the price, if you're willing to work really hard and do what you got to do. Okay? 
open borders. Let's just stop there for a minute. Where else in the world are there open borders? First of all, America already receives more immigrants than any other nation in the world, but we have a process for that. We have immigration laws, and we accept immigrants. We always have, and we always will. But there's a problem with one word, and that's the word illegal. Well, they're asylum seekers. No, they're illegal. And when they come in illegally, it cuts the other people that want to come in legally off at the feet. Because we have to shut that down, like we can't receive. So where else in the world? Hey, you know what? Open borders. Try that with, let's say, North Korea. Go to, go to Iran and say, I'm coming in because you should have an open border. They'll just shoot you, right? There's no other nation in the world that has open borders. It, it just doesn't work. Take, you know, why lock your car? Why lock your home? Why have doors at all? Just, like, get rid of all of that stuff. We're just, let's open everything. CTR, critical race um, teaching. It's the most racist thing in the world. COVID. Jeff Soros said we have to work. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Great Reset, but you can look it up online. Google the Great Reset, where they want to reset the world governments, the world economy, right? George Soros said we need to do it during the window of COVID. So we wonder why the world's going crazy over this. Defund the police. There's a good one for you. Let's defund the police because they're all racist beaters. Now, now listen, are there bad cops? I'm sure there are. But there's also bad doctors. There's also bad pastors and preachers. There's bad people in our world, right? So are the, but are the majority of the cops good people that are trying to do the job to the best of their ability? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Yes. So let's, let's just get rid of them. And let's tax the rich. Oh, we're going to, listen, middle class, you don't have to worry about this. If you don't make over 400 grand a year, this isn't going to bother you. Taxing the rich is one of the 10 main points of the tenets of the Communist Manifesto. You can only tax the rich until they're no longer rich. And then where are you going to get the money? Divide and conquer. We are seeing right now criminal activity surge upward at an alarming rate. Homicide increasing by 30 to 100% in many Democratic-controlled cities. Rather than giving people their tax money back, those politicians are spending it for their own personal security. That's hypocrisy. That's oppressive government. That are peop th those people that are passing bills that apply to you and not to them. That's what it is. They're passing bills that apply to you. Do you know that most of the rich have already found the loopholes that they're going to use to get out of paying these taxes? But whatever taxes they do have to pay... The rich own the companies, the corporations, the businesses that employ everyone else, and they're just going to pass that on to you, the consumer. I took uh, Ian, one of the guys I hike with. We had to go do a podcast, and I brought him with me, and because you know he went with me, I treated him to dinner. So on the way up, we stopped at a little pizza joint. We got two sub sandwiches, a large fries that we split, and two drinks. With the tip, it cost me $55. That's inflation. And it hasn't even begun to hit everything yet, right? It has, okay, so the Democrats got this great bill on, on, the, on, the, on the counter. They're going to tax cattle. They're going to put a tax on every head of cattle. So what's that going to do to the price of meats? It, it's it's going it's to get crazy. And, and, people's, and, 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 and you, you want to talk, you remember the French Revolution, those of you that actually got history? Let them eat cake. Remember that response? The people are languishing. The people are suffering. The people are dying. Let them eat cake. And what happened? The guillotines came out and heads rolled. Because the people said enough of that. And they revolted, right? 
we've got a Democratic congresswoman who just said, let them learn to just live without. They're already blessed. They're already prosperous people. Let them just learn to live with. In other words, let them eat cake. Because it doesn't apply to us. It's not, we've already found our loopholes. We're not going to have to pay these taxes. <clears throat> it's absolutely insane what's going on. Big government is not good. It's never been good. Ban guns because guns kill people. Guns are the No, do you know what kills more people than anything else in the history of the human race? Governments. Governments. Governments have killed more people than any, and especially communistic governments. If you just look at Russia, China, Cambodia, and China, in the last hundred years, between 100 and 200 million, nobody knows the exact statistics. But we know that, you know, uh, 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 Chairman Mao just killed everybody that, that, that were a problem. Right? Let's just get rid of them. Uh, uh, Stalin just killed millions anywhere from just just Stalin alone they can't figure it out somewhere between 50 and 80 million people not in an act of war just people in their society that they no longer thought valuable kill them just get rid of them this is communism a hundred to 200 million people killed in since 1900 to today our founding fathers were smart people that loved God. And they said, we're going to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, but we're going to be a republic. And we're going to go by law. And we can't surrender those freedoms. As a matter of fact, if you listen to John Adams, John Adams said, we hand you a republic if you can keep it. President Reagan said, our freedoms can be vanished in one generation. All it takes is a generation to come up and say, I want free stuff, and I'm going to vote people in that will give me free stuff. And it's over. Right? And this is absolutely crazy. Despite what your college professor might have told you, socialism means you need government. Socialism means you need their permission to buy or sell. Socialism means you need their permission to speak. California, you want to know some of the problems about what they call the supply chain issue. The supply chain issue, right? California passed a law. All these great big smog carbon burning trucks that move the freight off of the coast of California into the country, you can't come into California anymore unless you are 100% up to snuff with the latest EPA laws and all the smog controls, costing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars for the trucking industry. Okay, well, I guess we're going to have to pony up and get our trucks up. Oh, but wait, it doesn't matter because in two or three years, we're going to phase out all those trucks and introduce electric trucks. What do you think they're going to do? Okay, well, then we'll wait until that happens. And while they're waiting, everything we need is floating off the coast of California. It's absolutely absurd to say we're going to get away from carbon-based fuels, but we don't have the answer yet. That's absurd. Like if somebody came up and said, I found a windmill that will, one windmill will supply all the energy for the East Coast. I'm all in favor of windmills. Absolutely. I'm, I'm for, you know, renewable energy that's clean and efficient. But we haven't got the answer yet, but we're cutting the head of the dog off because we think the tail's going to create energy. It's absolutely absurd. And so it's obviously you can tell what the results is going to be. All these drivers, now they're demanded to be unionized. They're demanded to have upgraded trucks, but that's not going to matter because in two years they're going to be electric anyway. And so it's a predictable response. We're not going to do anything. Can't move the freight. Socialism always, 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 always ends up with empty shelves and worthless money. Empty shelves and worth. How many of you get a stimulus check, not in the mail, but electronically deposited in your account? 
All right, so, so here's something to think about. If the government can deposit $1,200 in your account, and how many of you know that wasn't a free gift, by the way? That's added into your taxes for the next couple few years. It wasn't free, because government, how many times can I say this? Government doesn't have money to give you. They don't. They can't. They just don't have it. We don't need to look anywhere else other than in our world right now to look at the effects of socialism communism. Look at North Korea, South Korea. We're talking about the same indigenous people, North and South. One is extremely prosperous, and one is languishing in poverty. What's the difference? It's just the difference of a, of a governmental structure, right? Look at North and South Vietnam, the exact same thing. Look at West and East Berlin before the wall came down, right? Same people, they were all Germans, one was under communistic rule, one was under uh, a democracy or, or you know, a, a free market trade industry. What was the difference? Same people, just different, different philosophies of government. And now we see another side, we see where our, general, our Attorney General Garland tells the FBI to investigate parents who um, are protesting critical race theory being taught in their schools. And the concept is, is that these parents are guilty of wrong thinking and they have to be punished so that other parents are intimidated and fall in line. That's what's going on. And the liberals who once championed free speech are now attacking anyone who declares to speak out against things that they're opposed. So much for the myth of speaking truth to the power. A little girl, how did this all start? A little girl, a little girl comes home from school and she goes, mom, am I evil? Mommy, am I evil? And she goes, dear Lord, she goes, why would you ever think that? She goes, because I was born white. And that's when the mama bears started saying enough of this foolishness. We're sick and tired of this crazy gender sexual stuff. We're sick and tired of this stuff. And that's what happened in Virginia. And it's happening more and more and more. But our government, our Department of Justice launched an investigation by the FBI. And there's more leaks coming out, more damning uh, 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 material that's coming out against them. You see, we need God's report. God simply says in Psalms 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There's a groundswell coming as people are seeing the direction that things are going in. And they don't like it. But we have to move from faith, which just equals belief, to trust, which equals action. We need to start rethinking that we're not people of faith, we're people of trusting a God. And that trust means that we have to be people of action. And so, yes, vote, stand up, become a voice, get local, get into your PTAs, get involved in politics, be a voice that can be heard. Uh, when government tells concerned parents at a school board meeting that they are labeled as terrorists, are you kidding me? It's time to start sharing a message. Now listen, historically, churches have always been, churches have always been the forefront in the struggle against slavery and the struggle of women's rights and the struggle against civil rights and the struggle against voting rights. It's always been churches that have led those charges. But something happened in 1954. Thank you, Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson was a senator, a Democratic senator from Texas, he was fearing losing his um, election because churches weren't backing him. So he passed the Johnson Amendment to Section 501c3, a tax code, which entitles exempt from federal income tax cannot participate on behalf of opposed of any candidate of public office. In other words, church, shut your mouth. And, and now they use that against churches to browbeat them. Same thing Hitler did. Hitler created to the German people, he created what was called the two spheres. In the church sphere, Christ was head. In the political sphere, Kaiser. 
or Caesar or the king or the Fuhrer was head over that political sphere. So he separated. That's why the church never opposed Nazism. Because it's like, we got the church. But that's political and we... Do you know how many pastors I personally know? Pastors I personally know. Oh yeah, don't cross that line. We're not supposed to go in that line. Dear God, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. If we don't proclaim truth, then who knows truth, right? <laughs> Jesus said this, and I'm closing. But when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough of bread, and I'm dying out here with hunger. I will get up and I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but oh, he was still a ways off, a long ways off. His father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced and kissed him. There's something missing from American evangelism. There's something huge missing from American evangelism. And that is, is that we preach a message of forgiveness and salvation. Forgiveness and heaven. Forgiveness now, heaven then. And we don't preach a message of being adopted into a kingdom. That that's what it means to be a Christian. That we now live in a kingdom under a king. We are now in a theocracy. And in America, he has placed us in a land that is still of the people, by the people, and for the people. And he says, you better use your voice. And I'll tell you something right now, because I heard it myself. President Trump, about halfway through his campaign, says, okay, church, it's time for you to get moving. Church, it's time for you to stand up. And what do we do? We lollygag. We just said, hey, things are getting better. This is great. And now we find ourselves in a horrible, horrible time. And I want to close with this. It's called the church that sang a little louder. During World War II, many of the German people, towards the end, knew what was happening with the final solution. They weren't dumb. They knew what was happening. They saw the Jews being rounded up. They saw them being put in cattle cars. They knew that they were going to work camps. They knew that they were going to death camps. And they were powerless to stop it. Because they weren't in the political sphere. They were just in a religious sphere. And there was one church, it's documented, this is history, there was one church, that their church was located close to the tracks. And every day, they could hear the whistle of the train, and they could hear the rumbling of the train come by, and they could hear the screams and the cries of the human freight that were in those trains. And it bothered them, and it gave them nightmares. So what they started doing is every Sunday... When they heard the whistle, they started singing. And then they would just sing a little louder and a little louder and a little louder until they were screaming at the tops of their voices, singing to God so they didn't have to get involved with the train cars that were going by their church. And we say, how could something like that have happened? Because that's what happens with socialism. And please, you know, we, we, we brand the Nazis as fascists. They weren't. They were socialists. That's what it means, Nazis, Socialistic Party of Germany. They were socialists. And how many freight cars are going past us right now? How many warnings are going past us right now? And we still just want to play ignorant until one day we're going to wake up and find out that our money is worthless, that we are now subservient to the government, and that we've lost a lot of our freedoms. And so it's time now as never before to get involved, to become a voice, to speak up to things. And, the, and there's a million things you can get involved in. Right now in the state of New Hampshire, they're trying to repeal the Johnson Amendment. 
to get rid of that so churches can do what I'm doing right now. See, I don't care. I'm not going to play, I'm not going to cow down or play down to that, you know, ooh, they're going to arrest you or they're going to take away your tax code. Go ahead and take my tax code. I don't care. We're called to be a prophetic voice into the time where we live, into the culture where we live. Not to sit back on the sidelines and sing a little louder when we see cultural things going by us at breakneck speed. There are, as it were, many voices, and none of them are insignificant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the kingdom that we belong in. And yes, we are kingdom people. We are not of this world. We're pilgrims. We're traveling through. But Lord, we think about the multitude of people in America that are hoping for a better future. I think of my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren that will come someday that I would want them to enjoy the America that I enjoyed. I would want them to enjoy the freedoms that our founding fathers, through you, had the wisdom to bestow on us and give us. And Lord, I pray that you would wake people up and give people common sense to come running back to Christ, to come running back to the kingdom, to a father that welcomes us back as soon as we turn to him, and that you would revive this nation. I thank you for the 100 people that prayed for revival, and Lord, we're not going to stop. Because we need to see your hand manifested because it's not going to come just through political means. It's not going to become through a government uh, a solving of problems. It's going to come from you. And so we are asking that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that you would revive your people again, that we might rejoice in you. And that only comes from you and from your hand. But it comes from you working through each one of us. And so God, have your way with your church, we would pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and amen. God bless you.